some things to change with the scripture for this morning. I'll explain that here in a second. But I believe you'll be able to follow along up front, but not inside your bulletin. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So the, uh, the scripture that's inside your bulletin is what I intended to go with from last week. And uh, this week has been proven um, fairly heavy uh, in terms of different duties and things that we had going on, uh, preparations for Mother's Day, visits, all kinds of stuff. Life happens, and uh, you need to be able to switch some things up sometimes. And so I think all of you can relate to that. And so hopefully you, you'll pardon me this morning for having changed the text. Uh, but we will get back to, the next time I have an opportunity to be up here uh, before you, we'll get back to First Peter. But I hope that what you hear this morning will still um, be a blessing to you as you hear from the Lord. And um, let me not presume or make an improper um, uh, assumption about what the Lord will do by his word without first praying. So please, if you join me in prayer, you can remain seated. Heavenly Father, today we remember that not only has your son bled and died for us, not only was he humiliated in his humanity for our sake, and not only did he, after that three days later rise from the dead, but he is now ascended on high and is seated at your right hand 
And God, we have sung our tears and our pain even already this morning. As we've thought about um, our, 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 the mothers that we have and the joy that we've experienced from that and the mothers that we had and the ones that we've lost. And right now, God, we take comfort in knowing that Jesus has carried our pain and our tears and our joys to you into the holy sanctuary, into your real presence, oh God, right by your hand. You've heard us and continue to heal us because we have an advocate before you, your son, who is now reigning over all things, turning our sorrow into joy, bringing beauty from the ashes because he is risen and he reigns forever. And we pray now, O oh God, that as we hear your word, that your son Jesus would, by his power, make it effective in our hearts. We'd be able to receive it and know that there is a God in heaven who looks down low and loves those who call upon his name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So there, we kind of live in a, in a time, as you know, when um, as we're talking about and thinking through some of the things that we suffer psychologically, uh, maybe we find certain handicaps in our relationships, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our work, and, and we begin to place blame. A lot of blame is placed on parents, right? Uh, it, it usually always comes down to, you know, why, why, why can't I get right my relationships? Why, why, why can't I uh, uh, hold down a job? Why, you know, how, how can I, uh, why can't I hold on to this person? Oh, it's, you know, it's because of my mom, right? And, it, and there's been a lot of that going on. And, and, and you know, and, and some, of, some of that is like, okay, yeah, you know, maybe parents have not been perfect and they cannot be. And some things have happened, but that's not the whole story. But it's popular in our days sometimes to make it the whole story, you know, just put it every, everything on the parents, right? And we're like, no, right? Scripture would tell us differently. It's not just our parents. It's not the whole story. Now, and another place that we look, I think, is to God. For those who believe in the supernatural, begin to think, you know, I'm in this situation and I have certain emotional issues and hangups because God set me up. He did wrong by me. And so this morning, I want to talk about a particular attribute of God, and I think it displays his holiness, is his wisdom. Is God truly wise? Because you would think that if we're living in a world in which we have gods to deal with, or a God, that you would think a God would be wise, for one. And that, you know, that's got to be something that a God would have. Otherwise, he's probably not a God. If you don't have any kind of wisdom whatsoever, something's wrong. But then we'll also... Um, we're also not convinced that religion is a wise thing. See, for many of us, it may, it may be, oh, you know, I look at my past and God messed me up, or maybe it's religion, you know, that church or that temple, that mosque, or whatever it may be, right? This is, you know, that philosophy, this, you know, re religion gets this, gets all, gets some of the blame as well. And so we need to look at the wisdom of God. Because there's two people that I think exists in our society today. There's some that believe in a closed universe, which is to say that there's no such thing as the supernatural. 
right? It's just us. Just us in the dirt, you know, we're star stuff, that's it. And like, if we're looking for solutions, look at the man in the mirror, or look to the people who are sitting beside you, work it out, right? And then there are others who believe in an open universe. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the God of the Bible, but you know, there's this, they believe in, in the supernatural world, that there's something out there. Maybe it's some impersonal will, kismet, or whatever it might be that, that can infect our lives, that can penetrate it, infiltrate our reality, and begin to shape some things for us, and begin to deduce some things that are outside of our control, then it's, it's our responsibility to respond to those things and kind of figure out, okay, how do I navigate this now that these things have happened through supernatural means? So, there's, so there, in, in our society today, there are folk who believe in, in, this clo in a closed universe, no supernatural open universe, there is um, something out there or even among us. Not too long ago, I was sitting in a coffee shop, as I like to do, and um, just eavesdropping, which is pretty easy to do in a coffee shop. And then it's like, if you're a pastor, you like to eavesdrop a lot because you get illustrations, right? So... Uh, <laughs> and in Charlotte, there are a lot of pastors in different coffee shops. So uh, I'm sure a lot of some of your conversations have ended up in somebody's sermon. Just, just visit some church someplace else, you know, for one day. You might hear something. But anyway, so, uh, so I'm sitting in a coffee shop, and uh, you know, one person just, you know, she, she was clearly disgruntled. And, you know, and this was back in New York, so there's always a little bit of snark to your voice and that sort of deal. Um, and, and so she, she's just like, talking about religion, and she, she's talking to her friend, and she's like, you know, I don't, I don't get it, because uh, I know this one guy, you know, he, he believes in X, Y, Z, this, this particular type of faith, and he's like, yeah, um, you know, one day, and he's married, right, it's this guy, he's married, and, you know, one day I'm going to have 70 wives for me, but honey, you, you'll still get me. Right, saying to his wife. And she's like, that's paradise? <laughs> she's like, really? Like, for that woman? You know, like, that's, really, that's paradise for her? Like, all she gets is this guy, and, but he gets, like, 70 different wives. You know, and she's like, you know, see, she's like, oh, religion. See, it's just, it's just made by man for man. Right? And when, when she said for man, she meant males. Yeah, that's, that's religion. Now, is there really a wise God out there with whom we must at least do business? Or is a personal, um, is there someone out there that we can make a personal commitment to that won't lead us into pure foolishness? Or to ask this question a different way, does devotion to the God of the Bible inevitably lead us to an insensible life? A life that we would never dream up for ourselves or for anyone else in our wildest dreams. And that's why we have to take a look at God's wisdom. What can we know about it? How do we get it? And what will it do? What can we know about God's wisdom? How do we get it? And what will we do? Um, so what can we know? What is it? Like right away, and you think about the wisdom of God, the discussion can get pretty lofty and high and filled with all kinds of big words and all that kind of stuff pretty quickly. Okay, and I'll, I'll, I'm just going to examine and we'll talk about one aspect of God's wisdom. Now, a common definition of his wisdom, is, the common definition of wisdom is good sense or discernment or we've all heard this one, I think, 
knowledge applied for skillful living, right? That's wisdom, difference between wisdom and knowledge. Is wisdom is knowledge applied for skillful living. And so if we want to examine the wisdom of God, we need to go back to the beginning, which is why we had Genesis. And what do we see him doing with his knowledge? What do we, what do we see him doing with his knowledge? If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, he creates with it. And he creates good things. And then you, you think of the, the universe and, uh, you know, just like some, some people just watched the Infinity War, you know, over the past couple of weeks. And you've seen like, a, you know, I heard some people complain that too much of it was out of space, not enough of it was on earth. But think of the expanse of the heavens. God created all that, all the different planets that still exist out there and the stars and the galaxies. I mean, there's thousands of them. And God knows what's going on. We don't, but he knows what's going on there. And he's created all these things out of his wisdom. And then on top of that, he has created earth, our home, the place in which we were called to, to, to live and to flourish and the, the flowers. And today on Mother's Day, we've seen, you know, beautiful flowers all, all over the place, right? And, uh, and, and what God has granted to us, and not just the flowers, but some of you will, after this, get to go to a brunch. And there, so somebody took the raw food and created it and, and uh, took it and reformed it and made it into something that, that's going to fill your stomach in just a couple of hours, right? And um, our, our God has created abundance, plenty, and good out of his wisdom. So at the outset, we see God applying his knowledge for the purpose of his glory and the good of all that he has made, right? In his wisdom, he has applied his knowledge for the purpose of his glory and for the good of all that he has made. And God's knowledge and action is about life. But so we look at God, but we also need to look at ourselves as we think about wisdom. What is that? I mean, the first humans, they had it, they had it pretty good. I mean, no sin, no death, everything was just right. Things were good to go. I mean, you know, I don't know if you had, I mean, if you got stuff like serpents talking and stuff like that, I mean, you know, I'll be honest, I don't know completely how to interpret all that, but I just know that if a serpent starts talking, that's a little weird. But, you know, but, they, but, but you think of like, the, you know, the, the birds singing and, and, and you know, just the, the different animals that are around. And you go back and you read how Adam had the opportunity uh, to, to name different animals and what he must have seen, the diversity of of, of creatures that live in the world. And uh, he, he got to experience not just the animals of, of the, on land, but in the sea as well, getting to name them. And so much to explore, so much plenty of abundance. So their home was just right. So you kind of think to yourself, is, here's Adam and Eve living in this kind of home where everything is just right the way that it should be. Why would they want anything more? But they did. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now we might think, who could blame them? And here's this this extra tree. I mean, you got all this, right? You know, it, it, it's, it, it, I mean, it, it's, it's like when you, when you, you know, it's Mother's Day, 
right? You, you think about, uh, you know, all these, these toys that you buy for children, and yet they're still begging for the, the one little thing that you got in your room. That's mine. What are you doing? Right? You've got a whole room full of toys. I'm not buying another toy for you ever again in your whole life. You keep asking for my stuff, you know. Where's the remote? Can I watch your TV? Can I lay on your bed? You have a bed. You got two beds in your room. What are you doing? You know, and, and so, you know, you, you look at this and, you know, Adam and Eve, they're there in Eden in this garden full, full of things. And yet they look at the one tree and they're like, oh, you know, I got to have that too. Let me have that. And so they, so they, they go and eat. And, and we're used to this. We know about this. We know what it's like. Right? We know what it's like at our jobs and, you know, just one more thing, God, just one more thing. I know I got a paycheck. I know I have some security, but just give me that too. I want, want that. The envy, right? He's got that. I'm going to get that, some of that too. We know what it's like. So then we look at Adam and Eve and we kind of think, I get it. Why would I blame them? But God did. God blamed them. But here's why. It wasn't just because of their desires, because of particular desire. Look at the temptation. This is where we see it. In verse 4, he says, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, the tree, your eyes will be opened and what? You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And this wasn't just any old temptation. It's temptation to be like God, to take his place, to usurp his throne. So Adam and Eve were tempted to be more than who they were or what God intended them to be. So when they were just eating of this tree, it wasn't just about, oh, you know, hey, this is, this would be an opportunity to, for me to grow in wisdom. I mean, it's good. To grow in wisdom is a, is a good thing. This isn't just about growing in wisdom. It's about blurring that line between the creator and the creature. Right? So that when, when, when God is no longer really in charge, blurring that line between God and mankind. In other words, being human wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for them to just be human. But the temptation was to be like God. And then what was the result? They had to hide from God. And they had to hide from each other. Guilt and fear became the order of the day. And so it is the order of our day. Where are you? That is the question for us. Where are you? How do you use God's good world? See how they, they, they use the, the, the fig leaves? That which they should have cultivated and used for other means, they're now using it, the, the God's good, good world, his creation, to hide from God, to hide from each other. It's so easy for us to misuse and, and hide. And we do it with food, overeating, undereating. We do it with other people, right? We either avoid people trying to hide, or we manipulate them so that they don't get too close and discover the real us. Or we, we, we try to manipulate or spin our failures or our achievements that we have at work or at school right? so that we can remain covered. So, but, but we're in this perpetual state of nakedness 
attempting to recover, literally recover, our humanity. Guilt and fear keep us exposed. And so we're unable to, to bring forth the, uh, the abundance that God wanted to bring, wanted us to, to bring forth from our own designs. Like I, I think, you know, and there, there, there are different ways in which we cannot even be who God has called us to be because of guilt and fear, because of our need to constantly try to recover ourselves. One of my favorite movies uh, is Finding Forrester. And uh, if you haven't seen that movie, I recommend it. It's pretty good. But uh, there's this student, Jamal, African-American teenager from the Bronx. Um, and you kind of see why I like it, right? So, so he's, you know, and he's, you know, he's pretty good at basketball, and, but, but he maintains a C average at school. Why does he keep maintaining the C average? Not because that's all, that he, that's all that he can achieve. It's because that's all that he wants to achieve among his friends. Right, and then the movie unfolds. You kind of find out he's he he can do a whole lot better than that. Like he can get A pluses and all kinds of stuff. But he's been maintaining the C average because he doesn't want his friends to start teasing him. He doesn't want to get left out. So he has to He's trying to recover himself in order to preserve his own dignity out of fear of being left out. Right? It's it's a covering. Uh, another uh, sometimes it um. We also, we also get really busy. Right? So we, we show our accomplishments and we do what we need to do. But we get really busy running from our nakedness, the guilt, the fear, the shame. A few years ago, um, there was a journalist with the New York Times. Um, her name's Miranda July, and she interviewed um, the mega artist, Rihanna. And um, she had a little conversation with her, and then there were some things that, that came out about, she, she began to have some reflections about herself, some things about her own soul, her own heart, as she began to talk to Rihanna. Listen to this. So she's, she talks to Rihanna, and then this is, Rihanna's responding to her about her own life, Miranda's own life. She says, you're a next moment person, she surmised. Not an in the moment person. Yeah, I admit it, knowing that this is the wrong kind of person to be. Rihanna says, I'm the same way. Only now are things hitting me like I'm feeling them emotionally. I used to feel unsafe right in the moment of any accomplishment. I felt the ground fall from under my feet because this could be the end. And even now, while everyone is celebrating, I'm on to the next thing. I don't want to get lost in this big cushion of success. That's powerful, isn't it? And can you relate to that? What Rihanna said is she doesn't want to get lost in the big cushion of success because she can't live in the moment. She's got to move on to the next thing. Why? in order to keep her dignity, her humanity. But when the bottom falls out, what then are you left to face? Where are you? What do we have to face? Our own brokenness? Our, in our inability to be joyfully content with our ordinary lives? Our own discomfort with 
hearing that little voice asking us, where are you? What in the world has happened to you? God's wisdom is his knowledge at work for his glory and the good of all. And we need it. We need it because our ordinary lives now are marked by brokenness and there's no way for us to truly live well. We can't get out from underneath the treadmill that we're on in order to escape our nakedness. So how do we get it? How do we get God's wisdom, his knowledge, which is at work for his glory and the good of all? How do we become deeper and wiser people, and even growing in humility? We could just reverse engineer the whole thing. Right? So instead of now you know, getting rid of the creator and becoming, I mean, you know, and, and trying to ascend and, and be like God, let's just begin to embrace our creatureliness or our limitedness in our humanity, which is to say we become dependent on God, right? Our lives become contingent upon his action, his blessings. We become obedient to his word and his will, what he would have for us to do. And when we, if we begin to live that way, that's very different from how others around us choose to live. Because those who attempt to live creaturely live as if being human is enough. And then the scriptures say, and when you begin to, to live that way, in, in a sense you are set apart, sanctified. And those who have tried to live this way with Jesus, uh, uh, you know, they, they, they should be able to hear his words as he, he asked God to sanctify them in the truth. For your word is truth. Set them apart to live a life in which being human is enough. In your truth, your word is truth. And John bore witness to this word, this same word that God used to create the world in his wisdom. In John, we saw this in chapter 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. We see the Word of God in the middle and at the center of and the instrument of the creation of all things. And so God, a wise God, invites us to take a posture of limitedness in his presence, but also a posture of listening. For he is the word. We are called to listen, to hear from him. And his words, they, they create and recreate. They recreate us gloriously in our ordinary lives and in our ordinary places. Ordinary people who don't seek to be gods or something other than what they are. Ordinary people investing in who or what is around them and bringing forth its abundance. The way that we get into God's wisdom for us is by embracing our limitedness, embracing 
who we are as human beings and listening to his word. As you remember, other places in scripture, it makes it pretty plain that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all what? Wisdom. Fear of the Lord. Coming into his presence as we are, embracing who we are. And, and, and for, the, for the Christian, that place that we, be, that we begin with is, is the Bible. We go to his, his words that there for us in Scripture. Now we need to ask this question, right? And then what will it, what will it do to us if we begin to do that, right? Because I asked the question earlier, can we, can we trust this God, you know, in his wisdom and will submission to him, will it inevitably lead to an insensible life or will it mean our blessing? What, what could become of us if we begin to embrace our humanity, our limitedness, our creatureliness, but also learn what, how to listen to our creator? Well, okay, look, if you assume that there's a closed universe, I don't assume that everyone in here agrees that there's a, that there's a possibility of the supernatural or the supernatural is among us, right? And, uh, and I'm saying that because, look, I, I know we're in the South, but things have changed, right? Not everybody believes that there's a God. I worked on a college campus for three years. Trust me, right here, UNC Charlotte. Okay, so this, this, you know, and was, some of us are still kind of like, you know, we've, we've got this pocket. We're kind of frozen in time, you know, like, yeah, the Bible Belt and stuff like that. And, you know, isn't it great? That, like, no, sorry. I, I'm sorry. It's gone. It's gone. We're in post-Christian society. That's the, it's over. But there's something good that can happen in that. I believe that what God will do is call us to embrace an authentic Christianity and not to rely on a cultural religion. So we live in a closed universe. If you assume that, then there's, there is no brokenness. There's nothing really wrong with the world. Or that you kind of feel that way, but that's just the way you feel. That's your sentiment. So, you know, the racism and the sexism and the injustice and so ah, uh, whatever. It, it's just the way it is. Right? Survival of the fittest. So just, you know, get along, to, like, like get along to keep going. Do what you need to do. Because there's really no God except man. And so we get to call our own shots and figure out our best design and, 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 and get along as, as best as we can. The problem is, is you die. So you, you, you need to get working. What are you doing in here? Get started. Right? Just, you got to get out there and start making a change because you'll never live long enough to see the, 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 effects of the, the effects of the work that you're hoping for, right? Uh, and, and think about this. Well, you know, because you might think, okay, look, I, let me be selfless here, right? Okay, I get all that, you know, it's a materialistic world. You don't have to believe that there is a God to try to make a difference in the world. Completely agree with that. And, but, but then it's like, all right, you know, and I understand that I'm going to die and I may not see it, but I'm doing it for my children. I'm doing it for posterity, for the generations to come. But look, and I say, and I say this, and I'm saying this, I'm not. It will be for the next generation, but it's not for generations after generation after generation. Because one day the sun itself will die. And everything that we know will be gone. And who will remember? 
all the sacrifices that you've made for your poor neighbors and the little children and the classrooms and the ailing parents and the roommate who kept talking about their girlfriend over and over and over again, no one will remember. But <laughs> this doesn't let off those of us who assume an open universe. Because if we assume that there's a supernatural out there, right? Uh, that, you know, that there's this wise and personal God who is at work, not just outside of our world, but also within it, then we, we, we begin, we say, okay, all right, let, let, let's search the Bible or even nature itself to kind of discern God's order, the way that he has structured things from the world. And, let's, and then we just live the best that we can according to the principles and the, uh, the, the rules and the, the reason and the logic behind all things. And well, we can do that. But here's the problem for those of us who believe in an open universe. We also will die, right? I mean, the same problem for us. And then, and then, but, but, but if there's a supernatural deal, if there's a God out there, then we die unsure of whether we'll be able to, when we die, be able to come out from behind that tree, just like Adam and Eve. <laughs> Still dying, having to hide, not knowing if, what's God going to do? What's he going to say about how I live my life? Yeah, he's out there. Yeah, it was up to me to discern the order of things. But will I be able to stand before him when he judges? So really, there is no help for us in God's wisdom unless it goes deeper, unless his wisdom goes deeper. And that's the good news for us this morning. We read it in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, John says, Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The same word through which the world was created and you and I were created became a man. It turns out that God's wisdom is not just some principles or rules to interpret to make our lives better, but God's wisdom is a, per is a person. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. And he shows us how wonderful it is to be a human being. He could have come as, as, as anything if he, want, if he wanted to, but for our sakes and so that humanity could be redeemed, he became like one of us. And he fulfilled God's design for us as a human being. And he paid for the ways in which we have disrespected our God who is our creator and, and ways in which we have harmed our good world for the sake of trying to hide and deal with our guilt and our fear. He paid for it by dying for our sins. So we need to be able to see wisdom on the cross, crying out, God, where are you? So when God asks us, where are you, we can say with full comfort and without shame, I'm still right here in your hands where I've always been. 
Wisdom hung exposed and ashamed on the cross so that our humanity could be recovered forever. In Christ, we as human beings are always enough. No more hiding. Nothing to prove. See, here's the point. Wisdom is love. He transforms all who receive him into lovely human beings skilled in love. Isn't that who we want to be? Isn't that who we want to become? Don't we long to be free? Remember that it's a process. Hey, this, is something, this is not something, there's no instant formula. You can't just go, you know, decipher, you know, piece together Ezekiel and put it with Obadiah and all that kind of stuff and kind of, you know, extract it. It's not like, you know, something uh, uh, like the Da Vinci Code or something like that where you just kind of read in the symbols and you kind of pick it out and things just rise up off the page or something. You kind of figure it out. It's, just, it's not that kind of deal. But the, the truth, who is Christ, he sanctifies us over time. Because God wishes to cultivate us like, like a good beer. <laughs> or a good brisket. He wants to cultivate us. Be at work in the small things. And, 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 and I know this is frustrating for a lot of us, you know, as we, we, we want to we be different now. But Jesus doesn't seem to be in a hurry. Come on, Jesus, like, I'm tired. Like, I got the same old stuff I'm struggling with. Uh, you know, I'm about to lose some friends. I may be about to lose my marriage. I don't know what's going on. God, would you help me out? You know, this is taking too long. I need the quick fix. And Jesus doesn't seem to be in a hurry at all. Why? Because if he is enough for us, we don't have to hurry. If Jesus is enough for us, we don't have to be on that self-improvement project in which we're trying to cover up our, the, the fear of who we are, our nakedness, and our guilt overnight. We are seen in God's presence for who we really are. And by his grace, he recovers us. If he becomes your self-worth, he becomes your glory, then in a twist of irony, you actually can become like God. You can become like him in his character. And you become like him in, in, in being involved in our work. You know, we, we being sub-creators as, as God is the creator, we begin to reflect him in our relationships. We can become like God. We would accept our limitedness and begin to listen to him through Jesus Christ. And if we are doing that, instead of living life in a, in a, in a rat race and and, and, and trying to keep things at bay and trying to keep our own nakedness at bay, then we can actually slow down. And we can do things like share a meal with a loved one. And I think that's a good diagnostic tool. You begin to ask yourself, hear God asking, where are you? Think about what's happening at your dinner table. You got a roommate, you're married, you got children, are you present? Are you ever there? You might be there physically, but are you still like plugged into something else? Are you living like you're in the matrix, so you kind of plugged into the internet or something like that? Just 
Are you present? What's going on? You can slow down, have a meal, and in a moment, we're going to get an opportunity to slow down and to come to God's table together and to share his meal, to eat of his grace, to embrace our limitedness and receive the one who took on our limitedness for us. For the all-wise God is wise in love. May we love as he loves, being truly wise in the world. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we need you to instruct us in your wisdom, but not just to have a book or two where we can extract principles, but we need you to recover our humanity, to begin to change us from the inside out, allowing us not only to know what is wise, but to do it, to live it, to be wise in the, the, the love that you uh, constantly display to us every single day and every moment. Our world is in desperate need of it. We are in desperate need of it. Would you make us deeply wise and loving people? We'll be mindful to give you all the praise and all the honor, all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.